Hello, friends. This episode of the Paw and Order podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Animal Stone. Animal Stone connects people to animals through solid sterling silver and solid 14 karat gold animal charms. Browse the full collection at animalstone.com to find your favorite animal and use code PAWS10 for 10% off your order. Proceeds from the sale of 10 animals goes back to wildlife conservation. This episode is also brought to you by Naked Coconuts. It's an unfortunate common practice for many coconut product brands to use the cruel labor of monkeys, but Naked Coconuts isn't one of them. They are committed to providing coconut and MCT oils, soy-free soy sauces, and more, all without the use of animals. And finally, this episode is brought to you by The Grinning Goat, Canada's vegan fashion boutique with a storefront in Calgary, and more importantly right now, an online store that ships across Canada and worldwide. As a Paw and Order podcast listener, you can save 15% on your entire purchase at grinninggoat.ca simply using the code PAW15 at checkout. This is another iRaw podcast. We podcast to make the world a better place for animals. In the Canadian justice system, animals' interests are rarely represented, but the lawyers at Animal Justice fight to give them a voice in court and the political system. This is the Paw and Order podcast. And these are their stories. everyone, welcome to episode 60 of the Paw and Order podcast. I'm your host, Camille Lapchuk, and I have a very special announcement today. Uh, Peter's not here today because we are welcoming a new permanent co-host to the show. That person, I'm about to make the big reveal, it's Jessica Scott-Reed. Yay. Hey, Jess. Hey, thanks so much. I'm super honored to be a part of this amazing podcast. Thanks for, uh, for having me, Camille. Well, we are so excited to have you. I mean, I personally am so sick of Peter that this is just like a great break from him. Don't have to worry about his sarcastic insults the whole time. Just kidding, Peter, because I know he's listening. I can't, I can't every single guarantee. Episode. I can't guarantee I won't also take part in some sarcastic insults, but I'll try and keep it, keep it to a minimum. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be paw and order without some sarcastic insults. There you go. <laughs> so that's okay. That's okay. It fits with the the the, the feeling of the show. Um, but yeah, we're we're really excited to have you join the program. Um, Peter thought he would take a step back um, this spring after he had, you know, his stroke and was in the hospital for a bit and realized he needed to slow down a little bit. So we started thinking about what would we do? Would we have uh, rotating guest co-hosts? Would we invite someone permanent? And I just got to say, after you joined for, for that show a couple of months ago, we were both just like, oh, it should obviously be Jessica. She'd be perfect for this. And yeah. you're a journalist, so you pay such close attention to the animal rights and law stories just like we do. So I think it's a perfect fit. Well, I was really hoping you were going to say that I had a really fun time and um, I think we will have a lot to talk about. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the what the new flavor of the podcast is like with uh, new personalities and new perspectives on it. And I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. So I put this call out on Twitter the other week. But if you are a listener and you're curious about a specific topic that you'd like us to cover, I encourage you to write to us at info at animaljustice.ca. Uh, you can also tweet at us. Jess, Jess and I are both on Twitter. So is Peter. We're all pretty active on there. So if you're if you're on Twitter, 
Um, I'm at Camille Labchuk. That's L-A-B-C-H-U-K. And uh, Jess, what's your Twitter? At Jess L. Reed, R-E-I-D. Cool. And Peter's just P- uh, Peter Sankoff. So, you know, send us a tweet. You can send us an email, info at animaljustice.ca. We'd love to hear your show ideas. And we're starting to think about the rest of the summer and our fall programming and covering topics that would be valuable to you guys, apart from just current affairs. So, you know, let us know if there's something you're burning to learn more about. So, okay, well, let's get into it. Um, Jess, what's new with you? I, I have a feeling there's a few things that are new with you in Winnipeg. Oh, and I, maybe we should just sort of like do a little intro too. I know some people have listened to the last episode that you were on, but um, just for the benefit of all our listeners, Jessica is currently living in Winnipeg. Yes, I know. Much to your dismay, Camille, you've been trying to get me uh, to come out <laughs> to Toronto to be amongst all you wonderful people for a long time. But nonetheless, I have decided to settle in Winnipeg after my years of travels. I just bought um, my own house. Um, so that's been exciting. Been doing lots of moving, a pandemic purchase. It was uh, tricky, but it's all worked <laughs> out. And now we're nice and settled um, and happily in Winnipeg. And hopefully I'll be able to come travel to Toronto as soon as it's safe to do so. <laughs> Oh, someday soon, I hope. Is there still a, a mandatory quarantine for or a self-isolation period for people who go out of the province in yeah, Manitoba? Yeah, from your uh, from your direction. I think you can come from the west and without quarantining, although that seems to be causing some issues. We're having a huge rise in cases now from people doing that. Uh, but so far, if you're coming from east, you still have to do the two-week self-isolation. Yep. Well, I hope soon there'll be a chance. I'd love to actually go to Winnipeg again. It's been a while since I was there. And uh, one of our staff, as you know, Caitlin Mitchell, works from Winnipeg, too. Yes. And, shout out to uh, Caitlin. We have a lunch date coming up this week. Oh, oh, I'm jealous now. Yes, we, we will send you photos and make you very jealous. Oh, good. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, you guys honestly have quite the animal rights community in Winnipeg. I'm always blown away by how much cool activism there are. There's a bunch of lawyers there who are really into this stuff. Um, great save organizations. The Winnipeg Humane Society is really good. So, you know, it seems like you're in a pretty good spot, even if I would selfishly prefer for you to be in Toronto. <laughs> Thankfully, we're not too, too far away. Yeah, Winnipeg has, Manitoba in general, has amazing uh, activism community. And like you said, the Winnipeg Humane Society has really stepped up. They have a new compassion team, animal compassion team, that's um, taking more of an animal rights stance. Um, I'm really, really impressed with what they've been doing, and I'm, I'm hoping to get more involved with them. Oh, that's cool. And I've, I've loved how they've for quite some time now had a farm animal um, protection committee as well, which is not always standard in humane societies. Sometimes the people involved are really keen to work on farmed animal issues, given the scale of suffering involved. But oftentimes uh, people just focus on cats and dogs and companion animals. So I've always thought that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, I think when you have a, an animal organization on the prairies, such an agricultural place, you can't really ignore it. And I feel like that's evolved into this compassion team, uh, which is basically full of vegans so it's um it's been it's been really great to watch wow cool cool well and so also by way of background for our listeners um i know a lot of people already know jessica from her work because she's quite the prolific journalist in fact she's um i would say easily the journalist in canada who covers animal protection topics most regularly and in the most high profile publications too like the toronto star the globe and mail um all kinds of of newspapers but um why don't you just sort of you know fill us in on what you might be working on right now if anything exciting is coming up 
Yeah, so it's um, it's been a great, uh, I guess, five or six years that I've been working on this stuff, and it just seems to be building more and more. I wasn't sure if I could, you know, keep a, a career with this such a niche topic, but thankfully, um, animal issues seem to be coming more in the forefront in media than, than ever before. Um, I'm always working on my sanctuary stories for Tenderly Magazine, my um, once a month where I profile a great animal rescue story through um, a sanctuary. Um, and sentient media, of course, I have a regular column going on there, whatever's happening um, in animal rights issues. And then whenever Canadian media, I can get to pay attention to, to animal issues. I am always knocking on their doors, trying to get whatever message I can uh, and, and highlight any story I can. So there's lots of stuff coming up, always things on the go. Well, and I'm sure we'll be talking about lots of this on, on this show. So that's cool. Now, speaking of vegan and animal issues getting in the news, uh, I think we both watched something pretty cool this morning. Oh, yeah. The Beyond Meat commercial. Oh, my gosh. I Woo! had goosebumps. Like, I've watched it like 10 times. It is it is so perfect. It is a brilliant piece of advertising. It touches every single topic that anyone would should and could be concerned about right now this day and age uh, and really brings in a lot of um, different players whatever kind of topic you're concerned about regarding uh, animal agriculture touches on every single thing it is done so perfectly yeah yeah it's totally amazing and they've got some celebrity content in there too it's like it's narrated by octavia spencer Mm -hmm. which is awesome and a cameo by an NFL player named Todd Gurley, who I don't know about, but that's cool. I don't know if he's veg or just wants to eat more veg, but either way, that's pretty awesome. But yeah, they, they sort of ask all these questions, like what if, and they go over, what if you could have like, you know, a burger without destroying the environment? What if we could just like be friends with this cow all instead right? of killing it's her? It's so good. <laughs> what if we could just take the animal out of the meat and everything would be better like that's basically the premise and it's it's really that simple and it's it's a great question to ask i love that it's it's being posed as a question for the consumer for the for the watcher to consider it's really really brilliant advertising even if you're just an advertising fan which i am it's really well done yeah and this is their first commercial apparently so you know this is going to expose even more people to this awesome thing yeah coming Uh, out with a bang they ask ask this question what if and then they finish off by saying like basically you know what if is now like you can do this you can have the meat without the animal Mm -hmm. so let's see how it does but yeah yeah i can't wait to see all the analysis and stuff and the part about the farmer really got me right at the beginning he says what if this guy just grew more plants and we got protein from his plants. And I was like, I really hope that some of our farmer friends out there see themselves in that guy. It was perfect casting. He looked just like so many farmers I know. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Totally. Totally. And we'll, we'll post a link to um, an article featuring the ad so you guys can all watch it. Um, probably by the time this episode comes out, it'll be making the, the rounds for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in in other life news for me, I am in PEI, as I let people know about last episode. And um, last time we did this podcast, I was still in quarantine because there's a mandatory two-week quarantine here. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you actually have to get a permit to get in the province if you're not coming from one wow. of the Atlantic provinces. So yeah, I was lucky enough to get a permit. And my quarantine is now over. So I'm out into the world again. Uh, so that's been pretty cool. Definitely have gone to the beach, I think, three times already in three days. That's good for you. (laughs) So not wasting any time. But one of the cool things 
that I really noticed about PEI this time, and more so online from actually, uh, instead of actually going out in person so far, because I haven't really gone to that many places. But there are so many vegan options here now, Jess. It was, it was like, I, I just spent some time on the Veg PEI Facebook group, and I couldn't believe all of these places. Like, I'm from here, grew up here. There was never anything vegetarian, really, or let alone vegan. And even, you know, like a decade ago, I used to come back often in the wintertime for seal hunt activities. Um, I used to work for Humane Society International. Mm -hmm. And we would base our campaign here when we went out to film seals and the seal hunt. And, you know, that involved bringing a whole bunch of like vegans to PEI because most of the people who work for the organization are veg. And we would just be like, you know, really struggling to go out and find something to eat together. So there was a lot of cooking at home. But now the world has completely changed. And I just think, you know, if a small place like PEI, population is less than 150,000 people on the entire island. If a small place like PEI is getting this good, like the sky's the limit. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like anywhere I've been in the last few years, it doesn't matter where it is. They have so many vegan options. It's yeah, just like it, it's we're taking over. Culturally, like I, when I was living in Germany and Denmark, such sort of meat-centered cultures, and I was able to watch as those places progressed over like a five-year period. What a difference. It's really, it's really something to see. Yeah, yeah, pretty awesome. So I'm actually, I'm doing an event on August 26th with the Veg PEI group. Ah. And I will put more details in the next podcast when that's available. Or you can, you know, like watch my Twitter or Instagram. I will post details. Um, but if you're on PEI, and I know a few of you listeners are, uh, come on out to the event. We're going to talk about animal issues and veganism and all those kind of things. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then one other exciting piece of news. Um, did you see that Just Egg is finally coming to the Canadian marketplace? Finally. Finally. It's been so many years that the Americans have had Just Egg, and we've been just like waiting for waiting for that day to come. So yeah, apparently they're going to be selling a folded egg product oh. in Walmart and also Whole Foods, which I love because you get, you know, the high end of like the ritzy health food market at Whole Foods, but then you get, you know, people just shopping for their groceries at Walmart. Yes, that's important. It's like Beyond Meat making their uh, more affordable sausages now available in Safeway and Sobeys. Like I'm so glad to see that I see so many people buying them. It's, it has to be in the regular quote, regular grocery stores to really make a difference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And preferably in the meat section, too. Yes. I don't know. I don't know if Just Egg's going to be in the egg section or where it's going to be. Actually, I guess it's going to be in the freezer section because this is a product that's like pre prepared. Right. Um, Is folded egg a thing in Manitoba at all? I think it's an American thing. I've really actually never heard of a folded egg. I mean, I can picture a folded egg. Like I think of, you know, like an omelet or something, but I know I've never heard that term before. Yeah, me neither. But. The more I look into it, the more it seems like a lot of Americans are super culturally aware of folded eggs. So oh. I have a feeling it's like an American thing, maybe even like a Southern kind of thing. Um, yeah. So apparently at first it's going to be this frozen folded egg product. So it's prepared and you like put it in the toaster, I think, or heat it up some other way. Oh, interesting. I, hope, I, hope, I hope it's put in, in like a, the, the section with breakfast sandwiches and stuff and not just some obscure vegan frozen section because it could get lost. Yeah, like next to the frozen corn or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, apparently at, at some point they're going to be introducing like the bottle with the yeah. um, the egg in it too, the just egg, which is awesome. I've had that so many times. I'm obsessed with it. I think that's so. super popular, that product, right? 
Yeah, yeah, super popular and super easy to make, just delicious. It comes in like a squeeze bottle for、mm-hmm. anyone who hasn't tried it, and you just use it as you would like,、um, you know, eggs if you like whip them up in a bowl. So right,、cool、yeah. All right. Well, in other news,、uh, just a reminder that conference tickets are now on sale. We are having the Canadian Animal Law Conference September 11th to 13th. There's a student conference. I know a lot of students listen to this podcast, so you can sign up for a student ticket.、Um, the agenda for that and for the main conference will be out very soon, probably by the time this podcast airs. So check out CanadianAnimalLawConference.ca. We've got special prices for students too, and special prices for people who work for nonprofits also. Um, it's going to be a really cool event. The agenda is jam packed. There is content related to egg gig,、uh, COVID response, both of which are really hot topics right now.、Um, content about the laws or lack thereof regulating farmed animals.、Um, just all kinds of really amazing stuff about the fish, fishing industry. It's just you know it's jam packed. It's going to be an awesome conference. So please check it out. It was so good last year. I attended and I absolutely had the most. Mind-opening experience. Yeah, I felt that same way. It was, you know, just such a great group of people sharing such important insights.、Um, so I think it's going to be just as good this year, despite the online format. We're trying to build in opportunities for people to socialize and get to know each other, and、um, trying not to let this online format be too much of a barrier to、right. connecting people, which is, I think is one of the best things about conferences. I think we're we're all getting pretty used to it with the the Zoom meetings and such. I think.、Uh, I think by that point, it'll just seem second nature to be doing this online. Let's hope. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly that cultural shift happens, huh? Like it's very it's true. So second nature. Very true.、Yeah. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so by leaving us a review. Add to our 100 plus five star reviews. Maybe you want to make some comments on Jess and the fact that she's joined as a co-host. <laughs> yes, please.、Um, well, there is a recent review from.、Um, oh my God, this is. Too blurry. I can't even read the name.、Um, Mutsu girl, I think, who says the place to go if you want to be in the know. Five stars. And this person says, want to really know what's going on for animals in Canada? You need to subscribe to this podcast. Hard hitting, honest, and compassionate discussion of Canadian animal rights issues with those in the know. A must listen.、Sounds、well, thank you. To me, that sounds just about right. I yeah, I like to think so, and you know that's why we do this podcast is to keep everyone else informed, so you don't have to spend hours a day sifting through the news to keep up on what's happening for animals. So、um, leaving us a review is super important because it helps other people find the podcast. It bumps us up in the rankings and it makes us more visible. So we really appreciate if you do that, and it costs nothing. But if you want to spend a little money,、mm-hmm. you can also support Paw and Order on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. We offer regular prizes for our patrons,、uh, patrons like T-shirts and product giveaways and coupons. But of course, you also get our undying love. <laughs> And I want to say a special thanks this week to Jordan Ross, who increased their pledge, and to a new supporter, Rora Fitzgerald, who has signed up to help us keep this on the air. So、Yay. thank you very much, guys. Thanks, guys. All right. So Jess, we have all kinds of stuff in the news as usual. It may be summer, but animal suffering doesn't slow down. Yeah, very very busy couple months for sure. Yeah. Okay. So our first item is a story about a pig truck rollover. So this happened the other week in the Kitchener area, and it was horrific. So an activist named Jen went to the scene, and I watched a YouTube video that she edited and posted of what went on. But you know, basically, this truck carrying about ninety pigs 
rolled over on the side of the number seven highway. And the pigs, uh, it seems like about half of them died mm-hmm. on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Jen, uh, the, 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 oh God, Jess, it was awful. Photo yeah, I, from... I saw I saw the footage. It was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Oh, just horrifying. She could see inside the truck. First, the police didn't want to let her go anywhere near it, even though it's on public property. Mm. And the trucker, someone from the truck company, was also being pretty aggressive with her. But she managed to get close enough eventually and just filmed inside. And there's just, you know, dead and dying pigs, um, injured pigs among the dead and dying. When the truck was flipped up, because it kind of like fell over onto its side in a ditch in the grass, and then they righted it up eventually with the help of some heavy equipment, uh, you could see all these pig hooves, these legs just sticking out the sides of these Mm -hmm. open trucks. It was horrifying. Just another part of of animal agriculture, the transport's so risky. We're we're always talking about the the heat and cold, but the the risk of of accidents is also also there. And of course, there's no like emergency response to animals in a truck at that point. They're really still considered a product and saving product is probably more the priority. And people think, oh gosh, it's so sad that they died. But I mean, the rest of them that survived also died, right? Like no one's really surviving this whole process to begin with. No, no. And the activists, when this happens, they always go and they ask for some of the animals to be released to a sanctuary. And there's usually sanctuaries who are willing to kind of help out and provide some like mercy. Um, But of course, the truckers almost never agree to that. The trucking company, I should say. And they didn't in this case either. Yeah. But yeah, the driver was charged. Um, Guess what he was charged with? Do you think he was charged with an animal cruelty offense? No, probably not. (laughs) No, he was charged with careless driving. And failure to wear a seatbelt. So in other words, an offense related to causing a risk to his own safety, but not an offense related to causing a risk and actually killing in pretty horrific ways um, at least 45 pigs who died on the scene. And what what do you think of those charges? What do you think of those charges, Camille? (laughs) Oh, my God, Jess. I have a lot to say about those charges. Well, first of all, there's like at least four statutes. Like pretty much every animal protection statute in the country, well, in Ontario, that's active in Ontario anyway, could be used to charge this guy. So it's an offense under the criminal code to injure animals in transport. It's an offense under the animal transport regulations to do this kind of thing. Um, It's an offense under the Provincial Animal Welfare um, Services Act, which is our new PAWS Act Mm -hmm. in Ontario. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also an offense, um, oh, I feel like I'm missing one. Anyway, there's all kinds of, yeah, it's also potentially a provincial offense. So there's all kinds of charges that are available here to redress specifically the suffering of the animals who Mm -hmm. were injured and killed in this situation. But I don't think the CFIA was even on the scene for a couple of hours. They certainly weren't there during the footage I saw. Right. And, but this is the typical outcome of these situations. We've seen these rollovers in the past in different jurisdictions and such. And I don't think I've ever heard of a case where any sort of animal cruelty or animal welfare charges were involved. Do you do you recall any? No, no, I, I've never I've never heard of such a situation either. No, there was a really high profile rollover that we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, 2016, October, outside Fearman's, the scene of Regan Russell's death, the scene of uh, Manita Krines being charged for giving water to pigs. And, um, you know, that was pretty, pretty distressing as well. In fact, it was maybe even more distressing because the pigs were kind of running loose and they were rounding them up and walking them into the slaughterhouse. And again, in that case, the driver was charged with a careless driving offense and never anything to do with the animals. I have no idea of the outcome of that offense, if he was even convicted of it. 
But like you said, it's not like there's any animal ambulance that's going to come and like right. provide care. They're just going to truck them off to the slaughterhouse. Yeah, they're just products and there's lost product and product that can still be salvaged, so to speak. It's, it's really just a, a testament to the way animals are treated within our agricultural system. Yeah, they are just seen as commodities capable of delivering profit, profit I should say, um, and not as individuals at all. That's right. So, uh, you know, speaking of treating animals as commodities, there was a super interesting story out of Quebec about dog breeding. Did you see this one? Yeah, of course. You know, I've I've lived some time in Montreal, and it's it's uh, and I'm still the the communications director for the Freedom Drivers. Shout out to the Freedom Drivers. So I'm very much involved still in in this issue of dogs, um, the overproduction of dogs in Quebec. It is it is an exclusive problem to Quebec, greater than I think anywhere else uh, in the country. They call it the the backyard breeders of, you know, central of Canada. Uh, it's a, it's a major issue there. Yeah, totally. So yeah, and they, they actually call Quebec the um, puppy mill paradise of Canada, which is, which is awful. Yeah, but that's yeah, right. the, the story focuses on uh, the fact that the province of Quebec is investigating a dog breeder in Montreal over the health and origin of animals. So this is um, a breeder known as We Love Frenchies, French bulldog breeder. Mm-hmm. So popular. And, uh, yeah, everyone loves French bulldogs right now. I see tons of them. Yeah. And uh, people who have purchased these French bulldogs for like $3,000, they are not cheap. Yeah, they're, they're, they're expensive. expensive animals. Yeah. Uh, people are saying that they've found discrepancies with what they were told by the woman who sells these dogs uh, through We Love Frenchies and what some of the paperwork comes from. So she allegedly tells people that dogs are born in Quebec, um, you know, which which isn't a guarantee of... Um, some kind of good situation for the dogs right. anyway. <laughs> right. But it seems like the dogs are actually being shipped to Canada from Ukraine based on some of the, the paperwork. And that's interesting because, of course, uh, last month there was this, or actually in June now, there was this horrible situation where 500 dogs were shipped over to Montreal or Toronto Pearson Airport and 38 mm-hmm. of them died en route. Mm-hmm. And those were from Ukraine. Yeah, the idea, I mean, first of all, that we're shipping dogs in from anywhere. Um, I mean, I understand, you know, going perhaps to different countries to rescue dogs. I know some um, animal rescue groups do that. There are some ethical issues with that. But to actually be shipping in for-profit dogs to Quebec, of all places, is insane to me. Like, this is the last place in this country where we need to be having more dogs brought in. And of course, then there's the issue of them coming from places that obviously don't have the same standards as we do that can be shoving these many dogs into kennels as we saw uh, with that shipment before uh, where so many of them died. Yeah, it's a pretty appalling situation. There's just absolutely no need to be bringing dogs in, certainly not for purchase, for rescue. Yeah, that's great. But um, you know, if we're going to be importing dogs into the country, why are we not just importing rescue dogs from places where there's more dogs than they can adopt out? Like, that would be sensible. But then the profit motive wouldn't be there and somebody wouldn't make $3,000 a pop for selling bulldogs. Again, animals being treated like commodities. We, we like to think that, you know, dogs and cats and pets are treated a little differently. But, you know, when it comes down to it, they're being sold for profit just the same. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. They're they're chattel. They're not individuals. Oh, okay. Well, another story out of Alberta um, really angered me the other yeah. week. So Alberta is loosening and loosening up its 
meat inspection regulations. It's now going to be allowing meat from farms and hunters to be sold directly to consumers without any federal or provincial inspection. So this is interesting because, as you know very well, the the existing system in most places is that any animal who's slaughtered and then sold for consumption must be slaughtered at an approved slaughterhouse, which means that there's inspectors there and they can monitor for food safety. And technically they can monitor for animal welfare offenses too, which is another thing that the CFIA or provincial inspectors are supposed to be doing. So Alberta is loosening this up so that people can just kill animals, whether they're hunting them or whether they're um, butchering them themselves or have some kind of mobile butcher shop come around. And then they can sell the meat from those animals to the public. So, you know, there's a few issues that come up here. First of all, the food safety issue. I mean, one of the primary reasons, I mean, the primary reason, actually, that we have inspectors at slaughterhouses is for food safety concerns. Um, It's not really about animal welfare concerns, because that's not front and center. Um, People care, or the government cares more about food safety than it does about animal welfare. So you're kind of like opening up this system where... Uh, meat from animals can be sold without any inspections and uh, not even a visual inspection to see if there's something wrong with it. So that's bad. And then, of course, it buys into this whole like fallacy that eating local animal products is somehow better than buying them from the grocery store. And you've written about this before. Yeah, it's it's this, you know, this eat local trend, which, you know, when it comes to produce and things is absolutely great. Um, but this idea of eating local beef that it's somehow or local meat in general that it's somehow better uh for the environment or or even for the animal you know this whole idea of this bucolic family farm um but it's it's just not true and i've written for uh planet friendly news in the past that we i worked with um um uh researcher uh nicholas carter really great uh climate researcher about actually measuring the difference uh, in terms of environmental impact of eating uh local produced beef versus eating beans say from halfway around the world and it's still absolutely found that the beans uh, had a far uh, less impact on the environment so it's 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 marketing this eating local thing and for me you know, being concerned about animal welfare, this CFIA uh, inspection at that point in the process is literally one of the few steps along the way in animal agriculture that involves the government and the law, right? Like we, you and I talk about this often uh, on Twitter and, and beyond that there's already no laws uh, overseeing the everyday treatment of animals on farms in Canada. Um, this CFIA inspection at slaughter is really one of the few points at which the law is involved. And so now the removing that uh, is much more concerning for animal welfare. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's pretty much the only point at which the government gets involved. They don't really inspect transport like shipments with any regularity or, or, or really lay that many charges against people who are transporting animals. So it does tend to just be inside the slaughterhouses. So this is this is disturbing. Um, you know, I, the article also kind of describes this as potentially being good for animal welfare because there wouldn't be as much transporting of animals, which we, as we were just talking about, is, is pretty bad for them. Um, and also there's apparently now something um, available for putting animals down where you can do a video inspection. Yeah. I'm not totally sure of the details yeah. of that, um, but that doesn't strike me as um, doesn't you know, sound a, a good. great idea. No. <laughs> a video inspection, like, okay, you're going to trust the farmer to hold their phone in the right position. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know what? 
and that might be true about animals being transported less, uh, but I have doubts that it's going to really, uh, that this is going to be as many animals. Like the, the, the volume is just not really going to be there for this to make a difference for that many animals during yeah. transport. And I'm really concerned about what we lose on the other side of things. Yeah, the trade-off, I think, uh, you know, this idea that they don't have to be transported, I don't know that it's going to be worth it for what uh, will be happening on farms. As we've been seeing with uh, culling situations uh, due to COVID, these uh, on-farm versions of humane, quote, euthanasia, uh, are questionable to say the least. I mean, if you want to just move on right to the next, the, the story about the, the live hens found in the landfill in Manitoba recently is proof right there that these on-farm uh, methods of killing animals are concerning. Yeah, and, and you wrote about this issue. Why don't you just fill everyone in on, on what happened in Manitoba? Yeah, so last month, uh, I wrote about it for Sentient Media and, and hope to be doing a couple more stories for other outlets. Um, two hens were spotted by an employee of a landfill here in Winnipeg um, standing atop piles of dead hens, hundreds of dead hens that had been dumped there by, at this point, we still have no idea. Um, the, the egg industry and the chicken industry here in Manitoba Manitoba, neither of them have any idea, apparently, uh, where these birds would have come from, but it's assumed that they were uh, egg-laying hens, that the egg industry has taken a hit because of the pandemic, and they were likely, very likely, gassed on the farm, and somehow these two, at least these two that were found, managed to survive what they went through between being gassed, being dumped in a truck, being dumped in the landfill, and then finally spotted it's hard to imagine. You don't. We don't want to imagine it. Thankfully, they've now been rescued, brought to a great sanctuary here in Manitoba called the Good Place. I'm heading out there tomorrow to go visit with them. Actually, the two hens. Um, so it's a happy ending for them. But wow, try to imagine what they would have gone through. That's just horrifying. It, it is literally unimaginable. And people get so riled up. If this was dogs, can you imagine if people found like hundreds of dogs in a bin at the dump? And there were two like puppies struggling to survive throughout that. I mean, that would just that would just like rock people's world. Oh, like, yeah. Just like the Ukraine dog shipments where exactly. 38 of them were dead out of 500. Um, but, you know, it's chickens. And I don't want to say that the average member of the public sees that and doesn't find anything wrong with it, because I don't think we give people enough credit. I think they do feel that something is wrong with that. But the industry sure doesn't and government sure doesn't. They just see that as the cost of doing business. Yeah, I, I contacted the Manitoba uh, Chief Veterinary Office. They said that they were aware um, of of the hens and that they were investigating so they wouldn't tell me anything further. Uh, I don't expect much to come out of it. It would be great if they were able to figure out where the hens came from because when you look through the Canadian um, Farm Animal Care Council, those you know voluntary industry-created guidelines about on-farm calling and euthanasia in these you know certain situations like we're dealing with in, in COVID, um, it's, it's part of the regulations that all animals must be deemed deceased before transport and dumping. So that's their own rules. So somebody didn't follow their own rules. And it would be very interesting to see, since, you know, animal agriculture folks really like to discuss how important these uh, regulations are and how strict they are. I'd like to see what comes of it. You didn't follow your own rules. So now what? Show me what happens. 
I'd also hope that next time you and I log onto Twitter, Jess, that we are met with all kinds of farmers expressing outrage about right. the fact that somebody violated these super strict exactly. standards that they all have to comply with. Exactly. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys think that these are a binding standard, let's let's show some enforcement action. Yep. Animal Stone is a Toronto-based, family-owned, women-run business specializing in handmade, solid sterling silver and solid 14-karat gold animal charms. Animal Stone was founded on the principle that humans, animals, and nature must exist harmoniously together to conserve our shared place on planet Earth. Animal Stone believes the joy that animals bring to our lives is an essential component to our ecological systems, so that together we must celebrate and respect their majesty. With the help of in-house designer and goldsmith Delane Cooper, over 40 3D animals have been brought to life, complete with a birth story, name, and personality reflective of the animal as it is in the wild. Animal Stone is a team of animal lovers and eco-warriors who celebrate the beauty of the natural world, while encapsulating this love for wildlife within the miniature bodies that are their Animal Stone charms. Animal Stone's mantra is connecting animals to people, and they have partnered nine of their animal charms up with local and global wildlife organizations to make a difference through rescue, conservation, education, habitat protection, and research. Check out animalstone.com to learn more and use code PAUSE10 for 10% off your order today. If you're like us, you're a fan of coconut oil for cooking, baking, or maybe even a moisturizer. But we were surprised and disappointed to learn that coconut products are not always as cruelty-free as we thought. I did not know that it's common practice to have monkeys harvest up to 800 coconuts a day to make many of the products that we love. But before you start saying goodbye to coconut oil, we've found a company with all that coconut goodness without the animal labor. Naked Coconuts was born from the desire to help busy people leading busy lives access nutritious foods that taste good and are good for the body, mind, and planet. Sauces, oils, and protein bites that are all soy-free, gluten-free, and made from coconuts harvested by human hands, who are paid a fair living wage. So stock up on your coconut oil or MCT oils, soy-free soy sauces, and more by heading over to NakedCoconuts.com or finding tons of cooking inspiration on Facebook or Instagram at, at NakedCoconuts. I particularly love some of their stir-fry sauces, so please check them out. For the main topic, we're sticking with a theme that we've we've discussed in the last couple of episodes because I just think it's so important right now. But we're we're going to talk again about the death of Regan Russell and specifically the aftermath of of that death. So last episode we talked about the fact that a single provincial traffic offense charge had been laid against the trucker who mowed her over and killed her. And today we're going to focus a little bit more on reaction to her death from the trucker and farming community and specifically some clashes that have been happening um, with those types of people and the animal advocates who, who've been uh, trying to get justice for Regan. So, oh gosh, Jess, where to start? It's a pretty, it's a pretty big one. I think, I think the GoFundMe is absolutely a point, a point of interest. The GoFundMe page that was started for the truck driver, the amount of support it's it's baffling to me. I, I mean, I I understand that there's a community there. Uh, I would have expected support, but I think we're they're up over a hundred thousand dollars trying to help this person who killed somebody. It's it, to me that's mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of money. So they set this up pretty much right after he was charged, and we still don't know this guy's name. 
Um, I've I've heard potential names, uh, potential that this, you know we potentially know who this person is now, but I don't think that's public information yet. Um, but 28 year old man from North Perth, Ontario, charged with one count of careless driving causing death, and yeah, he now has over a hundred thousand dollars for his legal defense, which is um, you know a, probably a lot more than lawyers acting for Toronto right. Pig Save, lawyers acting for the family are able to scrape together to try to seek justice for Regan. So that's pretty astounding. Um, you know, it's interesting. I know a thing or two about fundraising since I run a nonprofit and that's part of what we have to do. And one of the things about fundraising is that people donate largely based on emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they feel something about an issue. They feel passionate about it. So you can only assume that in this case, I don't think it's just the fact that they're rallying to defend somebody. I think it also has to do with the fact that the so, so-called so opponents in the eyes of the people who are supporting this GoFundMe page are animal activists. And they're oh, really yeah. angry at animal advocates because we are, you know, as they see it, threatening their livelihood, threatening their way of life. I don't think that's how we see it because we say we can just transition everyone to growing plants and it'll be better. But I think the emotion must play a role here. Yeah, I think the money that they're donating... There's a lot behind it, like you're exactly like you're saying. I don't think it's all just for this particular guy because I think that would that would sound preposterous for this particular guy in this particular circumstance. It's it's like a war between two sides, and that's what we've been seeing now with these counter protests, um, which again are very disturbing. We've seen you know footage and photos of of the counter protesters that are I really think defending their industry, their livelihood, and their quote, right to eat animals. I think that's really what it comes down to. I think you're right about that. It's it's a culture war between two factions as they see it. I, I don't think activists see it in the same way, at least not all of us. But symbolic of this was the counter protest they had outside Fearman, Fearman's on July 30th. So there was, there was a a vigil scheduled for that day. I mean, Pig Save and another organization called New Wave Activism, they do big vigils every week. And they're publicly posted. There's Facebook event page for the pages for them. So everyone knows when they're happening. And the trucker community slash like the farm community, I guess, I don't know exactly who, but people who supported the truck driver decided that they would hold a counter protest on that day. And oh my God, I watched some of the footage just on Instagram from it. Some people posted these Instagram stories. It was pretty horrifying. So, you know, first of all, they held a hot dog roast. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually see that many people eating hot dogs. It's not like anyone's going to drive up and like take a hot dog <laughs> in that big mess of like protest slash counter protest. But they were making hot dogs like just to be offensive. Right. Yeah, it's, There's it's no other point to that other than to be like, like, screw you activists. It's like the, the you know, bacon hashtags that people leave under vegan food posts. You know, I felt like the eating of hot dogs was just it was like real life trolling. Totally, totally. And they screamed at activists. They were getting all up in people's faces. (laughs) They held this one sign. I forget what it said now, but it was a big sign. And they kind of like stopped, like they themselves were kind of stopping the trucks. They were saying something. Oh, yeah, it was safety first. Oh, yeah, but not stopping safety. Yeah. 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 So that was kind of embarrassing for them. (laughs) But yeah, they were they were themselves kind of standing in the way of trucks. And it's like okay, you guys are saying that other people shouldn't do this, but you're doing it yourselves. And then this one person had a horrible sign, like, you know, just the most offensive thing you can imagine that said, Regan committed suicide. Wow. 
Wow. Like, can you imagine going and just holding that up for like the someone sole had purpose to think of, that. of being mean to other people? Like, so, what kind of, you know, heartlessness is that? The thought process that somebody had to go through to go out, get that sign and think about it and have agreement probably from other people and go ahead and write it and bring it. And the person was hiding. You know, if you see the pictures of the person holding that sign, um, they seem to be hiding. Uh, I think they were wearing sunglasses and a hat or they were hiding behind the sign. So they didn't seem so proud of it once they were being recorded. Uh, and of course, we have zero, zero, zero evidence to say that this is at all true. Oh, absolutely zero evidence. There's, yeah, it's just, it's so implausible that it's just a, you know, it's, it's just a joke to suggest that. Um, this is a woman who dedicated every ounce of her being toward fighting for these animals. And the last thing she would want to do is lose her own life because then she wouldn't be able to fight for their lives. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It, it really just discredited them even further. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's bad. But, you know, it's something is something potentially dangerous and disturbing is happening outside the slaughterhouse right now with the tensions being elevated like this. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't stop on the ground either. The the online threats have really ramped up, too. So, oh, gosh, for quite some time now, there have been groups of truckers on Facebook. Like they have their own Facebook groups and they comment about different things. I don't know if you saw this one TikTok video. I don't have TikTok. Maybe I'll get it someday. Um, but the last thing I need right now is another yeah. social media app on my phone. Me too. Um, yeah, let's stay away from that. But there's this video where a trucker is he's kind of like filming himself driving a truck and listening to music. And he's just driving. He's looking at the window. And then he goes over some sort of big bump. Mm -hmm. And there's text on the bottom that said something about running over activists like the joke is he just ran over an activist and haha -ha, isn't that funny mm -hmm. uh it doesn't stop there there's other groups where they're saying anti-semitic stuff talking about gas chambers and how jews didn't mind being gassed to death and you know oh my the pigs. gosh it's just like unbelievable the, the stuff that they're saying they're talking about finding where activists work some of them have posted um the name of uh a place where one of the activists works. Um, they are talking about, uh, you know, making death threats, talking about how they wish other people had been killed when Regan was. It's just getting really, really troubling. So yeah, when you um, see when you see the comment section, I, I remember seeing that first video you were talking about, um, which I think was actually recorded before uh, Regan's death. But the the comment section went on and on and on about you know support for this you know, pretend running over of an activist. I couldn't even believe it, the amount of people who were making jokes about it. Um, and again, just creating this incredible divide between their community and ours uh, with so much emotion. Yeah, and it's a shame too, right? Because one of the things that the Safe Movement tries to do is not be aggressive and mean to other people. They're, they describe themselves as a love-based movement and they yeah. have love for everyone, including farmers and truckers. And they have really good relationships in a lot of cases with truckers, with workers at the slaughterhouse, because they view these people not as the bad guy or the enemy, but as cogs in the system that abuses everyone. So it's, it's not about hate for truckers or farmers. It's about love for animals. Right, yeah. So I think this has created... A, a bigger divide where there was progress being made by these groups. I know that they, they knew, you know, which truckers personally, because they spent so much time interacting with these people that they knew which truckers would allow for the two minutes um, that they were requesting to interact with the animals. They knew that there were a lot of them who were sympathetic to the situation of the activists and what they were there for. 
and then again, like these these people were just doing their job, and again, cogs in the system, like you said, and there was there was sympathy for them as well. Totally, totally. So now apparently there's a new a website or a Facebook group page, uh, page called Toronto Pigs They Should Be Banned. Um, oh. It's about quote protecting our drivers from activists' actions, oh, and they have a like a cover photo. It says "All Lives Splatter." Oh my and there's gosh! There's a picture of like a jeep and it's driving into um, two people and there's one person who's like on the back end of the jeep who's already been run over all lives splatter nobody cares about your protest i mean that sounds threatening so, to me that sounds that sounds like that should be reported to the police <laughs> oh my god i mean if an activist did that i can just imagine you'd have police knocking on the door like do you remember when um, Marine Land, anti-Marine Land activist Phil Demers. He's a trainer there. We've talked about him on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, great guy. He's exposed um, problems at Marine Land. A little over a year ago, he made a joke on <laughs> Twitter. Oh, right. He said yeah. it's a great day to steal a walrus. It's obviously a joke. He's joking about stealing the Smooshy, the walrus from Marine Land, who he's got a relationship with. And you know, nobody who looked at that thought it meant he went, he was planning to go to Marineland and steal a walrus or that he's trying to incite others to do so because how the heck would you steal a walrus? And but Marineland sent the police to <laughs> yeah. his door. Yeah, it, yeah, they show the, I think Phil had some, some footage of it of the police knocking on his door in their conversation. It's in that uh, great documentary, The Walrus and the Whistleblower. Uh, and it was absolutely preposterous. <laughs> Yeah, but can you imagine if, you know, if we called the police as activists and said, this is happening? Um, I think some people already have, and I don't think that the police are interested in doing much about this. How is that fair? Yeah, it's it's not fair. And that's one of the things that concerns me about the situation is like the threats... that the farm community levy against activists, the places like Marineland levy against activists, they're just never taken seriously. But anytime right. an activist comes anywhere close to the line, they crack down on them with the full force of the criminal law. Yeah, and here we are with with one wonderful activist dead, and still the police are really not being concerned about it. No, and you know, and again, it goes back to this idea that it's. Uh, could easily be the case that introducing and passing Bill 156, Ontario's A-gag legislation, mm-hmm. is emboldening and yep. inviting this type of rhetoric, this type of like very harmful death threats and uh, normalizing the idea that activists should just be killed for doing what they're doing and standing up for their, their beliefs and, their, and using their rights, their charter-protected rights. Yeah, for sure. They think that they have the power of the law behind them now. And so suddenly what we're doing, what we're saying is illegal essentially that's what it's it's going to become yeah yeah and that's what the government's trying trying to do when when the bill actually comes into effect is criminalize a lot of these protests or, or not criminalize them but but outlaw them mm-hmm. so troubling stuff and you know i i don't want to predict that something else bad is going to happen but it's really hard to see how we don't end up in that place yeah uh, the if, way these tensions are rising and feels the, the like heightened it's emotions on one side of the equation yeah feels like it's bubbling for sure yeah. Now, one other interesting thing I wanted to mention, it's not like quite on the same topic um, because it's dealing with horse protests in Niagara-on-the-Lake, but um, I complain a lot about how uh, activists get assaulted all the time and like shoved by, you know, people in the industries and police never do anything. But for once, they actually did. Mm-hmm. So in the Niagara region, um, there have been 
tons of protests against horse-drawn carriages for a long time. And people um, down there who have been leading this campaign, they've been very active and they never miss a day. Um, so that's really good. Yeah, they're a very Usually relentless just group. Ho- relentless group. Yeah, they're totally relentless. Yeah, they're, you know, they're holding signs, they're talking to patrons of horse-drawn carriages and saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Here's, here's why, uh, which is great. But I think escalating tensions are a thing down there, too. So apparently, recently, a male protester and um, a member of the public had an interaction, the police say. And this member of the public, who I believe was taking a carriage ride or was just getting out of the carriage ride, um, that person took a cell phone and a sign from the protester, and they were later charged with assault and Mm. theft charges. Wow. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I'm 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 happy to see it. Um, you know, I I have complicated feelings about the criminal law and its utility in a lot of ways, <laughs> but I, I think it's a problem when it's disparately enforced, never enforced against people who hurt activists and always crack down against activists. So that's good to see. Um, yeah, it's it's you know, again, I think symptomatic of these escalating tensions and it'll be interesting to see where things go from here. Yeah, I think um, also with the Kalesh industry ending in Montreal, um, I was there for a number of vigils before that happened and saw really the clashes even then between a very peaceful, non-violent group of activists doing silent vigils, not speaking to anyone, handing out pamphlets for the most part uh, and holding signs, and the very aggressive uh, carriage drivers, which you know we've seen in the media trying to defend their industry a lot. And now, now that's done. And I really think that that's probably adding to the tension, uh, to the Niagara region, um, industry. And of course, I think it's all tied in. I think that the, the transport industry, the agriculture industry having their, like we said, uh, emboldened position at this point, I think is definitely feeding in to the carriage drivers, um, position of, of thought power as well. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And another interesting thing to note about this is that there's an egg gag link with horse carriages, too. So a woman named Laura Centineal, who operates a horse-drawn carriage company, Niagara Falls or Niagara on the Lake, she attended and spoke at hearings on Bill 156 in Ontario Mm -hmm. and was asking the government to create, quote, animal protection zones around horse carriages so that people couldn't protest in them either, just like they won't be able to protest um, or stop trucks. Right. So where, where did that go? Well, nowhere yet, because the government's still making uh, regulations. So so they're going to release those regulations at some point, and we'll see exactly what they've done and oh, whether so they've it, listened it to this could, woman. It could include the carriage industry. It could. If they decide that it, that it should, then, then oh, it could. Geez. So, you know, it's I, I troubling. Think, Again, I think that's highly unconstitutional if they do that, and it'll be more fodder for the legal challenge. And again, feeding even further into these, these um, divisions and aggressions for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, just, you know, a word of advice out there to the animal agriculture industry, to the horse carriage industry, to zoos, to marine land. If you want to stop the protests, there's an easy way. Switch your business model. Very easy. Grow plants in a virtual (laughs) reality machine. Get an electric carriage instead. Like, yes, embrace the future, guys. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for our main topic today, but interesting discussion. And uh, now, Jess, it's time for what we like to call everybody's favorite segment, (laughs) Heroes and Zeros. Heroes and Zeros. Yay. Teach me how it's done, Camille. 
Woo! Okay, well, the first part is that you've got to always say everybody's favorite segment, heroes and zeros. Okay. <laughs> and then usually the other person, like, echoes the heroes and zeros. Heroes and zeros! Okay, got it. I'll be on the there ball for the next go. one. Okay. You're in the swing of it. <laughs> All right, so our, our hero today is a little bit unexpected, and I'll be honest, I have like kind of complicated feelings about giving this company the hero, but it's KFC, Ooh. just because they're planning to add lab-created meat to the menu. I think there's that's only a positive thing, but I, I definitely know where you're coming from with the ethical dilemma. Um, it will only work if it's not just the vegans coming well, I mean, it's not going to be the vegans. I don't think vegans would be eating lab-printed meat, right? It's going to be for the meat eaters. So that way, it is huge. Yeah, yeah, totally is. Totally is. So it's partnering, KFC is partnering with a Russian research lab called 3D Printing Solutions. And we'll post this story, but it says that they're developing technology for what it calls meat of the future. So laboratory-produced chicken nuggets. And apparently, they're going to look and taste a lot like KFC's original chicken. And obviously, a lot more environmentally friendly than standard meat because you don't have to feed chickens mm -hmm. and provide them with water mm -hmm. and go through everything you do to, to raise an animal for months before they're killed. Um, but it's cool. I think nuggets, things like chicken nuggets and meatballs and like processed yeah. types of meat are where you have like an easy way into the market for printed meat because one of the problems with it so far... I mean, there's a few barriers to it being like widely adopted on the market yet and it's not commercially available anywhere at this point. But, um, you know, trying to grow something like a chicken breast or like a steak is a lot more challenging because you need to sort of scaffold these meats and, and these cells in a way that promotes that sort of shape and, yeah, and consistency. Yeah, texture, yeah. Yeah, but if you're just looking at something that's more of a ground up style, like a mm -hmm. meatball or a chicken nugget and mm -hmm. then breaded, um, a lot easier to do. And, and this is cool because I think that a lot of chickens are potentially going to be saved if KFC accomplishes this. Oh, it'll be great to watch. I hope it happens. Yeah, yeah. They're calling it a bioprinting method, which I love that as a descriptor because there's a lot of discussion about what type of, of moniker we should attach to lab grown meat, cultured clean meat, meat yeah. um, clean meat. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know, I kind of like bioprinting. People are used to 3D printing right now yeah. and getting objects that way. So maybe this is a new term to study. Yeah, bioprinting doesn't sound super gross. <laughs> no, no, it's kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, So exactly. it's just printed, printed yeah. meat. Meat of the future, that's what it sounds like. Meat of the future, I like it. <laughs> so congrats, KFC, thanks for taking that step. Yes, weird now, thing to Jess, say. Now, <laughs> for every hero, there's a zero. There's a zero. And... Yeah, we're back to, you know, one of my frequent punching bags, which is the zoo industry today. Mm -hmm. So new story in the Toronto Star about the Toronto Zoo. A newborn red panda cub died at the Toronto Zoo after only a week. And I want to just, you know, the reason I wanted to include the story is to talk about how frustrating it is when... The media uncritically prints all these glowing stories about baby animals being born at zoos. Like, they know they're guaranteed clicks because everyone wants to see pictures of baby animals. We all love baby animals. Um, but there's never any comment on the ethics of keeping animals in this way. And even this Toronto Star story, there's no comment about the fact that, you know, maybe the baby died because it's not great to be keeping animals in zoos. Yeah, it's. I mean, it seems like an obvious, an obvious issue to me that should at least be discussed. And like you said, this marketing ploy of using the birth of baby animals. When I see these commercials and stuff, it, the same thing here with the Assiniboine Park Zoo and 
in Winnipeg, they, you know, they, they, they put them on billboards, they put them on commercials on TV, oh, come see the new baby, whatever. And I all I mean, I'm immediately heartbroken for this baby. I don't understand how other people don't see it that way. And then when these animals die, it's a short news story. And very little discussion. I mean, I always try and get in there with an op-ed, of course, and I, I, I may actually do it this time as well, um, if they'll let me. Um, but you're right, they, they don't seem to talk about that part of it. Why are we using them as fodder when they're born and alive, and then they're up to no scrutiny or discussion once they're dead? Totally, totally. And, you know, you think about zoos. That's actually one of those issues, zoos and aquariums. Most people in Canada now say that they oppose keeping animals in captivity in zoos and aquariums. So this isn't even really a fringe issue anymore, this opposition to captivity in zoos. This is something pretty mainstream at this point, and those numbers are only going up. The more people learn about zoos and aquariums, the more they oppose them. So the fact that the media still just uncritically prints these stories, like never getting in that perspective, just drives me, excuse me, bonkers. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. When I see even say like on the evening news, they whenever there's an animal born, I don't know why. It's like they have to fill some time with some kind of feel good story. Sometimes it's the local news and they're talking about, you know, a zoo in the States or something. They just love these stories of animals being born. Um, and I, I don't understand why this is still so normalized. Yeah, no, it really shouldn't. And the Toronto Zoo should have a little shame too, like rather than just like promoting um, the fact that it's, cubs were born you know maybe they should apologize for the situation yeah say something uh, and this story also another thing that's just frustrating is that they're blaming the mother it says the zoo suspects Ugh. that the cub died because its mother was unable to produce enough milk like really you're you're saying it's her fault she's not able can't... to produce enough milk instead of perhaps the cub died because the mother was confined in an unnatural environment where she was unable to care for the baby in the way that she would be in the wild. Yeah, let's talk There's about why why the mother was not able to produce enough milk. I'm sure if you looked into it, that would probably be a, a typical symptom of captivity. Totally, totally. I'm sure it would be. So I don't know. I guess it's on the long-term to-do list to sensitize the media to to these issues and and stop this spate of like just fawning stories about baby animals. I'm on it. I'm on it. On it. Working on it. <laughs> All right, folks. So well, that's our episode for this week. Our first official episode with our new co-host. Very exciting. So going forward, it'll be a mix of the three of us. Um, usually I'll be here for most episodes and Peter and Jess will alternate more, but I think the two of them are going to enable me to take a couple more episodes off, which sometimes Ooh, I would love to take on Peter as co-host. That would be super fun. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, <laughs> signing off. We'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. We'd love to ask you to subscribe to the Pod and Order podcast using Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or your other favorite podcatcher. Also, please leave a rating because it helps more people find the show. And if you can, please tell other listeners to share the podcast so more people can hear us. You can also consider supporting us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash pot and order if you like what you hear. You can find me on Twitter at, at Peter Sankoff or at my website, petersankoff.com. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Camille Labchuk, that's L-A-B-C-H-U-K. And we always enjoy Twitter conversations about the show or any other animal law or political topics. And finally, we'd like to thank our producer, Shannon Milling. See you next time on Paw and Order. Hi. 
For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com. Ah!